Soccer and Snow and Smoke fans, we made it. Long year of soccer coming to an end here. But the World Cup is kicking off in Qatar this weekend. First game on Saturday. The hosts, Qatar versus Ecuador. And then group stage games continuing all the way through December 2nd. One of the greatest sporting events in the world. We've got all the coverage you need right here on Soccer and Snow and Smoke, the soccer podcast from ESPN Missoula. I'm Andrew Houghton. Soccer and Snow and Smoke is brought to you as always by Zootown Sports Cards, Canby Tap House and Coffee, as well as Blackfoot Communications. Big thanks to all our sponsors for keeping this going. We wouldn't be able to do it without them. As I mentioned, World Cup getting started with the first game this Sunday, November 20th. Cutter against Ecuador. What we're going to do here is we just want to preview the games for you, preview all 32 teams vying for that trophy, just to give you a little bit of an idea of uh, what to watch when you're watching the World Cup. There's going to be games every day through the group stage. If you want to, you could just watch soccer for a straight month here. But while you're doing that, we want you to watch it smarter. So here's what we're here's what we're doing. We're having experts, people who've come on this podcast before, maybe some new voices, come on and just take two groups at a time, walk me through them, tell me who the players to watch are for each team, tell me what the expectations should be for these teams. And joining me to get things started, Roland Benedict, head coach of the Whitefish Girls soccer team. A great contributor to this podcast, somebody we've had on before, somebody who kept me up to date on Class A girls soccer all throughout the season. Uh, so, Roland, man, first off, thanks just for being here. Andrew, my pleasure. Uh, I think this is fantastic. You guys are getting, you know, some of the, the local uh, state-based soccer minds to come in and, and talk about the games, talk about the World Cup. I think it's very important for the youth players and adults and parents and, and new coaches and uh, and player, but players to be able to go and watch and have a little bit of background that they hear from tangible faces, right? You're going to hear the background about all the players and the teams and the breakout players from the experts, but to really get the opinion of somebody that you know and maybe trust a little bit more than an Alexi Lawless or a Stuart Holden on uh, the actual broadcast, I think will be interesting for everyone and to help people learn how to you know, watch the games with a little bit more of an educated eye. Well, that's right, Ed. I think the coverage of the World Cup is going to be great, but it can be overwhelming. We don't want you going in there just having no idea who's playing, what the expectations should be. I mean, there's 32 teams. That's a lot to keep track of, so that's what we're trying to do here. Roland, real quick, uh, just give everybody a quick update on what you've been doing. I know the high school season ended recently, but just what you've been up to. Yeah, so... Our high school girls team just finished. Uh, we lost in the state final to Billing Central, played a fantastic game. And uh, we're going to be doing our end-of-season banquet and getting uh, through that and start preparing through the winter and getting ready for next season to start. But the since the season ended, I took our 2007 girls Montana State ODP team down to Tucson, and we competed at the Arizona Real Salt Lakes uh, Select so- Showcase in Tucson, Arizona. And then from there, I left, and myself and Damian Blackburn, the director of uh, Flathead Valley United, we went down to Florida, Orlando, Florida, as staff coaches for the region, so the western region of the United States, to compete at the interregional championships. And so I was with the 2007 boys, with uh, the head coach being the 
Utah Tech men's soccer head coach, Division One program in St. George, Utah. And we took the, that group and competed in games and coached them and tried to help the national coaches for ODP select the national-level team of the 07 boys. So just a lot of identifying players and talent and working with some of the top players uh, in, in our region uh, in the western United States to compete against the Midwest, East, and South and you know, help developing talent and identify players for MLS academies uh, and uh, future college programs. Well, soccer never stops. They say Roland uh, is a great example of that, and we're happy for that here at Soccer and Snow and Smoke uh, because if it ever did stop, we wouldn't have that anything to talk about. Uh, Roland is uh, helping us preview here groups A and B in this year's World Cup. Handy because those are the two groups that are kicking off this weekend in Group A, Cutter versus Ecuador on Sunday. That's the hosts, of course, in the traditional first game of the tournament. Uh, and then the Senegal against the Netherlands on Monday. And then Group B, of course, this is the one that everybody's going to have a lot of eyes on. Also getting started on Monday, England against Iran and the U.S. men's national team against Wales. Roland, I want to start with Group A here. Just get started at the top. Qatar, Ecuador, Senegal, and the Netherlands. Where do you where do you start with that group? Man, it's uh, it's an interesting group. Uh, on paper, as a soccer fan, you, unless you're really really knowledgeable about the international game, it might not be one of the most exciting groups to watch. Obviously, the Netherlands is a big name, and they're you know they their teams built with all sorts of world class players from Virgil Van Dijk, Frankie De Jong in the midfield, Memphis Depay up top, and many other top top division players but you you look at a team like ecuador and cutter which they're going to play each other in the opening game as most host countries get the first match of the world cup just like we saw in south africa and if you remember that game south africa scored one of the goals of the tournament uh from about 35 yards out it was he had an absolute missile to the top corner so it produces moments of magic and excitement uh, just like any first event at a, an Olympic event at Olympic, uh, the Olympics or at a World Cup. So um, for me, I think if you know about the Qatar team going in, their coach, Felix Sanchez, is from the Barcelona Academy. Uh, he's a very experienced coach. And then their team is built of players that uh, have become naturalized citizens because of uh, the Middle East and some of the rules and regulations they have, they're able to get players into their groups and into their um, teams that you normally wouldn't expect. So I think that first game is going to be a fantastic game to watch. Well, I think so too. And you think for the Qatari players, I mean, if they're going to, you want to get off to a good start, of course, but they're never going to be more excited to play a soccer game probably ever in their lives. Uh, do they have a chance of getting out of this group here? Uh, man, you know, you don't ever want to say, I don't want to commit too early, and I'm always a, somebody that likes the underdog. I think it's possible. I really, really think it's possible. Uh, it's because of, you know, the Netherlands is a clear favorite. Uh, Ecuador has a lot of experienced players playing at the top level. Um and then Senegal, you would have assumed, would be the second favorite, but they lost their captain and uh, total leader in heartbeat in Sadio Mane. Um, I would wager that 
Qatar is probably going to get third in this group. Yeah, it's. An I inter- don't see them getting out of the group. It's an interesting group because the the other thing with the host nation, they play the opening game. They also for the draws, they go into pot A with all the you know Brazil, Argentina, Germany, France with all the top teams. The host nation is always in that pot, so they don't have to face anybody else, really any of the uh, the other top teams in the world. So that's interesting, uh, and I think that's what gives Cutter a chance. Um, because the Netherlands is there, but then, as you mentioned, Senegal, which could have been a dark horse for this tournament. I think they've been either the best or the second best team in Africa, uh, losing Sadio Mane. I mean, that's probably the most consequential injury in the entire tournament. It's a big one. I mean, there's been several injuries that have been really huge, but I, I believe for Senegal, if you have Sadio Mane in that team, I think it's going to really elevate you, um, to, just to have that experience and that goal threat, creativity, leadership is something that they're going to miss. I, however, I kind of predict that because Sadio Mane is not there, they are going to have, they're a very deep team with a lot of talent. And I think he, his absence will provide an opportunity for players to step up and kind of play off the cuff and play with a little bit of freedom. And now that, like you said, they're not going to be this expectation anymore because, well, they don't have Sadio Mane, you know, we're not, you know, who knows. I think they're getting out of the group, and I think they're not a team you want to play in the round of 16. Yeah, they're an interesting team, and it's an interesting scenario because Sadio Mane, I mean, on their run to the Africa Cup of Nations Championship, on their run through African World Cup qualifying. I mean, Sadio Mane has been the guy, and that's, of course, completely uh, rational. I mean, he's one of the best attackers in the world, moving from Liverpool to Bayern Munich in the summer. But this is a team still with lots of talent. I mean, Edouard Mendy, Chelsea goalkeeper, Kalidou Kalibali, uh, the defender who just moved from Napoli to Chelsea. Um who else are you watching for that team? Uh, who do you think is going to step up, especially for the forwards with Mane out? I mean, I, man, I, I just, I, you look at their team and, you know, they have Ismail Assar from Watford, who was in the Premier League last year. He stayed at Watford after they got relegated, but everybody was in for him from Liverpool to replace Sadio Mane because they knew he was gone all the way to, um, you know, they've got some other guys that you won't know about. You have uh, Bamba Diang at Marseille, Nicholas Jackson at Villarreal. You have some guys, some guys at Sheffield United that have experience and they're athletic and they can play. I think you're going to see some interesting setup in terms of formation because their midfield is the area where they're very, very strong. They have Idrissa Gay from Everton. They have... Um, Oh, man. Uh, well, they have Pape Matarsar, who's at Tottenham, who's one of the highest-rated young Senegalese players. But they have Sheku Kuyate, who's playing at Nottingham Forest now. They have um, Nampalis Mendy, who's at Leicester City. I mean, they have a lot of experience in their midfield. They have Kalidou Koulibaly and Edward Mendy, like you said. They have uh, Abdou Diallo, who's at Leipzig. They're experienced at the top level in, in world football. I just don't see them. Obviously, Sadio Mane is a miss. Obviously, they're not going to be as dangerous going forward. 
I just don't see them dropping too much. I, I would wager that every game in this group is going to be tight. I think Netherlands is, is still going to be challenged. I think they should finish top of the group. But uh, the group could get blown wide open with a few a few ties and a few 1-0 wins. Uh, it could be very interesting. And like I said, I don't think you want to play Senegal in the round of 16. Yeah, Sadio Mane is obviously the name that everybody knows for Senegal, but you're absolutely right. I mean, every other player on that team is is playing in one of the top five leagues in Europe. I mean, that's just a, a quality team top to bottom. Let's talk about the Dutch a little bit. You say uh, you think they're going to be top of the group there. Where would you... Uh, is this a better Dutch team than they've had recently? I mean, is this a team that's really among the contenders for you or maybe in the second group of contenders to win the whole thing, or are they sort of an afterthought this year? I think they're in that second tier, that second that second phase um, of to, to be contenders. I, I, I don't think I can put them up there and say, yeah, they're a contender to win it, based purely just on their performances uh, in this World Cup qualifying cycle. I would say leading up to the World Cup, their performances have become vastly better. They've collected some, some fantastic wins. And the, the spine of their team is playing at a very, very, very high level with you know Virgil van Dijk, um, Frankie de Jong in the midfield, and Memphis Depay up top. Uh, they, they have the players to do it, and I think they're, all those players are a little bit more experienced than the last time. So, uh, man, I, I don't think I can put them in a top tier, but picking if somebody picks them as the dark horse to win it, uh, it's a very safe bet. Yeah, I think that's right. It's an interesting team. I mean, and th- this is one of the teams that's, uh, you know, a symbol of European soccer. I mean, one of the most famous national teams in the world, of course, with the orange jerseys, everything else falling off a little bit. But you're right, they're coming into the World Cup on a great run of form. They beat... Uh, in their most two recent games, beat Poland and then beat Belgium, which are two other teams that are going to this World Cup. And those are two really good wins. And there's so much talent on this team. For me, the big question is, is Memphis Depay the guy up top or, or where are they going to get the goals from? Yeah, it's a great question. It would be interesting to see how Louis van Gaal gets them set up going into the game. Um, I, I think Memphis Depay is going to be the heartbeat of that attacking uh, that attacking group, but you have a lot of different ways to go. I mean, they have Steven Bergvine, Cody Gakpo, two two guys that are lightning quick, very athletic, can get in behind, can go 1v1. Obviously, Memphis Depay is pretty much the full package. He can play as the center forward as a 9. He can play as their 10, their attacking midfielder, and he can also play on the flank. And then off, coming off the bench, you have – Players that, that people will know, you know, they have Vincent Janssen, who is, he's at Antwerp now, but he was uh, at Tottenham for a long time. He was at PSV Eindhoven. Then you have Voot Veghorst, who played for Burnley for a while. Luke de Jong, who plays at PSV. They have some big attacking players that they can put balls in the box late in the game, score some goals. And then they have the player from Club Bruges, who's been in the Champions League, uh, Noah Lang who has caused everybody problems he's played against. I, I just feel they have lots of ways to attack you. Um, their midfield is going to be young. It's not the most um, star-studded midfield in the tournament, but they've got creative players with Frankie de Jong and Davy Clausen. Uh, Martin Darun is a workhorse. 
And Xavi Simons playing at PSV could also slot into that attacking group. He's been PSV's leading goal scorer so far this year. Uh, I, man, now that I'm looking at it, I go, ah, they're going to be defensively sound. They're going to be hard to break down. And, you know, they beat Belgium, number one team in the world, for a very, very, very long time. Ah, man, I, Netherlands, I don't know if they're tier one, but they're right on the cusp of being able to uh, be listed as a contender to win, to win it all. Yeah, that's right. I'm looking at the roster, too, and it's just all guys who you're like, man, this is a good player. And I, I know they're coached by Louis van Gaal, but they also, I think, have the potential to just be one of the most fun teams in this tournament. I mean, if Virgil van Dijk and Frankie de Jong are playing at their top level, you know they're going to be solid at the back, and you know they're going to be capable in midfield, and the players they can put around those two, I mean, even guys like Denzel Dumfries at right back, Tyrell Malasia, who's now at Manchester United, at left back, the wingers, Steven Bergwijn, Cody Gakpo, who you mentioned, they've got so much speed to attack you. They also have players like Vuk Veghorst, uh, Luke de Jong, as you mentioned, they can go in a bunch of different ways with that attack. It, it's, it's a team I like, and you're right. I think um, certainly expecting them to win this group. Uh, moving on real quick, I guess we should touch on Ecuador, the fourth team out of this group. That first game will be huge for them against Cutter because if they can break Cutter's momentum there, steal a point, or even get a win there, that's what they have to do to, to go forward to have a chance to get out of the group. 100%. That game is, for the, for the environment of the group, it's massive. If you get a draw there, you're just, man, you're dropping so many points. And I, I feel both of them, Qatar and Ecuador, I feel like Ecuador is going to be a team that they're going to come out going, man, we need to win that first game. It sets the tone for the Senegal-Netherlands game on Monday. There's one of those teams has to win that. You can't draw that game and feel confident when you go up against Qatar and Ecuador to somehow continue to try and win the group. They're, they're going to put a lot of pressure on everybody else. And Ecuador is not a slouch. You know, they've got uh, Enter Valencia, who's played in the Premier League for a long time. He's older, but he's going to give you experience. You have uh, Purvis Estupanon, who just came to the Premier League with Brighton, but he's played in La Liga. Um, and then, you know, the guy that's kind of taken the Premier League by storm and has put in top, top match of the, you know, player of the match performances is Moises Caicedo at Brighton. He has just come in and absolutely played fantastic. So I think they have enough. I don't know. Um, I don't know if I can say that I believe they have a chance to get out of the group. The other crazier things have happened, as you know. But I, I would wager that they're going to cause a lot of people problems. A lot of people problems. Yeah, it looks like an easy group, but Qatar, Ecuador, Senegal, even without Sadio Mane, all those are just, they're solid teams. I mean, they've got a lot of talent on them. I don't think anybody's going to mistake those teams as real contenders, but it could be a real fight among the three of them. You mentioned Moises Caicedo, the young midfielder for Ecuador um, and for Brighton in the Premier League. He's certainly the guy to watch um, for Ecuador. Just a, an all-action, covers the whole field, um, really talented player, um, somebody who he's only 21. He might come out of this World Cup as you know a, a huge name to watch. As far as players to watch from the other team, we've covered so many of them. But if you were you were just to pick one player for every for every team in this group, just to to keep an eye on, who would you say? 
Oh, man. Um, for every team, I think for for Senegal, um, I I think there's going to be a breakout guy that we don't we don't know about. I think a a Pape Matar Sar. I mean, I think the easily easy one would be Ismail Sar. Sadio Mane is out of out of the tournament, so Ismail Sar he's going to have to step up. The Watford attacking wide player, he's going to have to step up and and be maybe not the goal scorer but he's definitely going to be ha- having to create all the chances and be the most dangerous player for Senegal. Uh, for the Netherlands, um, Cody Gakpo is a player to watch in terms of having a massive, massive performance at the World Cup and being a threat out wide for Holland. I would say a player to watch just to watch and enjoy uh, for the whole group would be Frankie de Jong uh, in the midfield for the Netherlands. He's just special and a great player to watch. Um Obviously, we've talked about Moises Caicedo at Ecuador. Man, I'm already forgetting there's so many teams and so many players. Uh, and I think Qatar, they're going to have to defend and try and sneak goals. And I think uh, their goalkeeper is going to have to have a, a stand. He's going to have to stand on his head. I'll probably butcher his name, but Saad al Sheeb is going to have to really, really make some key saves and try and keep them in games and give themselves a chance to, uh, to, get, a, to get a result. There you go, everything you need to know about Group A in the upcoming World Cup from Roland Benedict, the Whitefish Girls head soccer coach, graciously agreed to join me to do a little preview here of Groups A and B. The World Cup, of course, kicks off on Sunday. Great game between two of the teams we just talked about, Ecuador and, of course, the host Cutter, and then there will be group stage games all the way through December 2nd before we go into the knockout rounds. Roland, let's move on here to Group B, and this is the one that everybody, I think, is watching. I'm not sure you could have driven up, drawn up a group with more storylines, um, with more intrigue, with more rivalries. England, Wales, the United States, and Iran. Just what are your, your initial thoughts about this one? Uh, it's going to have a lot, of, a lot of the world's eyes on it, um, mostly because... England's the most, one of the most followed national teams because of the Premier League, because of the uh, promotion. Uh, they're going to be massively supported. Every game they play is going to be watched. And then you have Wales, who is close right next door. They haven't qualified for the World Cup in, I believe, 64 years. Uh, that nation, uh, Wales, they're going to be very proud that they're there. And they have a bunch of players that are, I would say, healthy. I don't know how fit. I don't know how in shape they are. But if they're all healthy and they're all playing, they have a spine of players that can quietly get some results done. And the USA, you know, we didn't qualify for the last World Cup. And I said to everybody, every friend that I had, uh, I think it's the best thing that happened to U.S. soccer. It made us hit the reset button, helped us promote uh, the, the growth of the game, the development of talent. And now you look at our, our, loss, our roster and our lineup, and it's never been as deep with experienced and young, talented players. So it's going to be entertaining uh, from start to finish. Yeah, it's going to be a a barn burner for sure. Those games, England and Iran, starting on Monday. Uh, That game's at 6 a.m. Mountain Time. And then the U.S. also starts on Monday, taking on Wales at noon. Uh, The U.S. then goes on to play England on Black Friday also at noon, uh, and then they'll wrap up the group playing against Iran 
on Tuesday, November 29th, also at noon. So those games are good for the watching public here in Mountain Time. I'm sure there'll be big crowds. We will talk. I want you to break down this U.S. team for me, but let's start with England because that is, I think, the team that everybody's expecting to get out of this group. And the same question I asked you about the Netherlands. Is this a team that's in the top tier of contenders for you or, or, or right below that? I think they're on the edge, too. I, I mean, they've had such great performances in the last couple major tournaments, making the semifinals, then making the final of the Euros. They've been performing at a very high level. Uh, they've had some uh, some injuries come in to play that are going to hurt, are going to set them back. They've had injuries to players that are going, that are coming back from injury. Um, they just were relegated to League B in the UEFA Nations League. They have, if you look at the Netherlands and they beat Poland and they beat Belgium coming in, England's on the opposite trajectory. They are in a poor run of form. They're not playing particularly well right now. Yet they have one of the most talented, deepest rosters in in the tournament. So I think they're they're in the second tier of teams that have an, a chance to win it. I think they're right on the edge or the favorite in that second tier. They're definitely not a dark horse to win it, uh, but I can't put them in my top tier to to take home the ultimate prize. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And looking at this team after we just looked at Holland's roster as well. It's a great team. They've got a ton of talent. They have some of the most famous players in the world. I think Harry Kane is one of the best players in the world, certainly from a national team perspective, uh, because he's the captain. He's a leader. He can do so many things to get you goals. I think he's going to be one of the most important players in this tournament. But looking at this team, I mean, are you confident with, with John Stones and Harry Maguire and Ben White at the back? Is Jordan Pickford going to be the starting goalkeeper? I think, you know, Declan Rice is a great player, but what's Jude Bellingham going to give you in midfield? I might actually have more questions about this roster than I do about uh, Hollins. Man, there's so many. There are so many questions, Andrew. And I and Gareth Southgate is not in the most supported environment right now. There's a lot of people questioning his selections for the tournament, which the scrutiny around this team has always been high. Uh, but they, you know, I just... I don't think there's a lot. There's a lot of people. I don't think Harry Maguire should be in the group uh, based on his performances. A lot of people think uh, Luke Shaw shouldn't have been in until Ben Chilwell got hurt. Then Luke Shaw was was had to be taken. Um, you know, Ben White. I think that selection is massive. But you look at somebody uh, like Calvin Phillips. I think he's played 20 minutes of Premier League action so far, maybe 12 minutes, and he's coming back from an injury. And you bring him in. Obviously, we know how talented he is, and he just got his move to Manchester City, but he hasn't been playing. And there's players that missed out that could have been in this lineup. Uh, you look at somebody like Callum Wilson, who's been hurt, as Ivan Tony for Brentford is just banging in goals for fun and creating chances. So I think the player to watch in this group, and I think the player that's going to have to unlock this team, is going to be one of the attacking midfielders. You look at a Phil Foden, I think you need goals from your midfield. Harry Kane's going to get it done, but if they continue to rely on him to score all of the goals, I think they're going to struggle to advance deep into the tournament. Yeah, and they've got plenty of options to play that role. Phil Foden, who you mentioned, Jack Grealish can play as the 10. I mean, they brought James Madison, which I'm super happy about. Uh, You know, Mason Mounts on this team. They've got so much young talent, it's just figuring out how it fits together and whether you have 
enough defensive solidity. You mentioned Calvin Phillips. He's barely played. He's just coming back from an injury. Well, if he can't go, there's so much pressure on Declan Rice there because he's just going to be the only holding midfielder. You know, Jordan Henderson's in the team, but he's 32 now. Um, and we talked about the center backs. The one thing that's for certain about the English national team is there's just going to be so much pressure, so many eyes on them, um, and, and handling that is going to be important as well. Yeah, it's the it's the hardest part about playing for that team, uh, as as we know. I, I think they have enough defensive solidity. Uh, they've they've been solid defensively. If you look at you know their run, there was a long period of time where they you know they went thirty nine goals for and two against going into I believe their uh, European campaign for the championships. I mean they were unplayable at times. And it'll be very interesting to see what Gareth Southgate does in terms of setup, in terms of his tactical scheme. Is he going to play three at the back? Is he going to play with a back four? Who are the outside backs? You know, he started Kieran Trippia a lot off of the left. He really, really uh, trusts him. And then I think that dark horse in the midfield is uh, Jude Bellingham and James Madison. I mean, James Madison's form at the club level has been spectacular. And Jude Bellingham being able to support uh, Declan Rice in terms of giving coverage to that back line and really dictating the tempo. I think if they can do that and they can find some of the form that they've had in the past, they definitely have a shot to make a long run in this and at least get back to a semifinal. Maybe that's just it. A lot of defensive solidity and then having Harry Kane and all the talent around him up top for England. I think uh, England, the favorite to get out of this group, everybody will be hoping that the United States can clinch that second spot behind them. And Roland, uh, just your your overall thoughts on this U.S. team and this entire cycle after they missed qualifying for the 2018 World Cup and then they brought in Greg Berhalter. They have all of this talent over in Europe now. What what are your thoughts on this team going into the tournament? I think it's the first time I've looked and when we go out and we play, we have teams that, can, that we have players in this team that are special and, and can compete. They're not going to be the inferior player in their 1v1 duel across the field. Um, through qualifying, their performances leading up to this World Cup, you know, we went a whole year, uh, won every trophy available to this national team, beat Mexico three times in a row, which is obviously the big game on the calendar. Um, ah, man, I just think right now everyone's healthy, you know, there's a few guys coming back from injuries. Like Giovanni Reyna struggled with injuries. Timothy Way has struggled with injuries. Um, but uh, we have a lot of talent in a lot of the right spots to definitely have an opportunity to clinch second in in the tournament in this group and and get out. Yes, yeah, uh, but if you look at Andrew, Andrew, if you look at if you look at last the last World Cup, we beat England. The last World Cup we were in, we beat them, and we topped the group. So with an inferior team in that in that phase. So if you look at us now, where we have probably a better environment of continuity within our group than England does at the moment, based on performances of the past, I think we it's not a dark horse. It's a dark horse chance to go, you know what? Why not have the U.S. try and win this group and uh, get the more favorable draw going into the knockout stages? That's absolutely right. It's, it's so weird being just in the U.S. soccer ecosystem because all the opinions are so extreme about this team either way. I mean, if you, you lose to Canada in World Cup qualifying and that was an awful game, not a good game, or you uh, you play their last two friendlies going into the World Cup were not good. 
Um, and you, you, it's Burholzer out. We've got to do something to change up this team. And then when they're winning, it's the feeling around them is, is really high. And it's just weird being part of that atmosphere. But I think you're right. This is a good team. This team has a ton of talent. Everybody's healthy, which is the big thing that you mentioned. Christian Pulisic is healthy. Tyler Adams is healthy. Weston McKenney's healthy. Those guys haven't played a lot together because they've been, you know, they haven't all been healthy at the same time. But those guys are all great talents. Talking about this roster, were there any surprises to you um, that Greg Berhalter made on the final roster here? Uh, yeah, there's a there's a lot of surprises. Um, I, I think a big one for me is is you know, and I know he's been a a great servant for this national team, and Berhalter trusts him. But Christian Roldan, I, I don't really see how he fits into this midfield and provides something for us being on the field. I mean, he might be a great leader, a great glue guy in the locker room. I just don't. I don't know how he fits in to the midfield system. Uh, also, for me, you know, the forward line. You know, you have Jordan Morris, which I, I understand. I know he likes to bring him in off the bench. He's a big, fast, athletic, hardworking guy that can cause problems late in matches. Uh, but you know, the big miss is for people is Ricardo Pepe didn't make the squad. Uh, he brought in Haji Wright. And so I think that the biggest question mark for this group and for Greg Berhalter is what is the front three going to look like or what system does he play to be able to get his best midfield three, which I believe is Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, and Eunice Musa, and also have Aronson, Christian Pulisic, and then you, who steps out? Tim Weah, Giovanni Reyna. I mean, how do you get all of those players on the field at the same time? I think that's going to be – the difficulty will be very interesting to see who drops to the bench uh, because somebody will have to. Yeah, a lot of questions around it. If you haven't maybe haven't watched a ton of this U.S. men's national team, you didn't catch a lot of their World Cup qualifying run. A lot of times it has been the four-three-three: Adams, McKenney, and Musa in midfield. As you mentioned, Tyler Adams, sort of the the single pivot defensive midfielder, and then Musa and McKenney. I think the term for them is free eights. Um, they can, you know, have a little bit of freedom there. Uh, and then Christian Pulisic is going to be on one wing. We know that. Does Giovanni Reina come in? Does Brendan Aronson, who was announced as a midfielder in this initial roster announcement, uh, is he on the other wing? Other wing Is Timothy Weah maybe going to play as the number nine instead of Jesus Ferreira? That could be a way you get all of them in. Uh, but just watch for tweaks around sort of that 4-3-3 with the three midfielders um, that, that's that been Greg Berhalter's sort of go-to formation. I agree. I, I, and I think that um, I would have picked for this U.S. team before Brendan Aronson made the move to lead. I would have said that he's the player to watch to have a breakout performance in this World Cup. And I think the, the issue that Jesse Marsh has given Greg Berhalter is he's been playing Brendan Aronson as a 10. And Brendan Aronson has been taking the Premier League kind of by storm. In, in terms of performances, maybe not goals and assists, but he's been performing well from that central attacking midfield role. And if you do that, you can't play with those dual eights, and you have to play him out wide, and it, it just causes a lot of problems. It'll be something very interesting to watch as we get closer to this World Cup and the uh, first match on Monday. Yeah, a lot of questions around this team. We don't know whether uh, Brennan Aronson's going to be in that starting lineup, whether he's going to switch up the system with those free eights, I think the the way it'll look is probably Matt Turner in goal, Walker Zimmerman, and then either Tim Ream or Aaron Long at center back, Anthony Robinson on the left, 
Serginho Dest on the right in defense, and then Adams Musa McKinney in the midfield unless he does something crazy. Uh, but uh, what do you think about just the the expectations around this? I mean, this is a young team, right? All those players that we mentioned still entering the prime of their careers. A lot of those players have not been to a World Cup before because, of course, the U.S. missed out in 2018. How do you think that affects them? Well, obviously, experience experience is huge, but I think what gives us the edge is that Christian Pulisic and you know Giovanni Reina and Timothy Weah and Brendan Aronson they've been playing you know Champions League level, Premier League level, Bundesliga level football. Been around some great leaders in those locker rooms, and I just feel that they're going to be prepared and they they understand. They talk about what it was like a lot of them to not be to not qualify, be a part of that qualifying campaign last time especially a Christian Pulisic, and not qualify for the World Cup. I think there'll be a freedom that, hey, we've never been here. We don't have those nerves except to go out, express ourselves, and perform. But the expectation has to be to get out of the group. I mean, it just has to be. With the team that we have, even though that we're young, we, the expectation for us, especially with the group, it, it has to be we, we, we need to get out and get into the round of 16. It absolutely has to be. You're, at, you're right about that. We talked about England, uh, the other team that the U.S. will be, uh, or, or I suppose the favorite in this group that the U.S. will be facing. I think if the U.S. gets a point out of that game, that would be a huge result for them. Although, as you've mentioned, I mean, the U.S. does have a history of beating England in the World Cup. But the really important games will be the two against Wales and Iran. What does the, What are those matchups going to be like for the United States? I mean, what are they going to be seeing in those two games? You're going to see against Wales a lot of a lot of guys that are familiar faces. You know, we have a lot of players playing in Europe. There's a lot of players that are going to be familiar faces. And Gareth Bale's now at LAFC, so MLS, the MLS guys, the Christian Roldans, Jordan Morris's, you know, the Zimmermans, they're going to be they're going to know him. Uh, they're going to experience that. Wales is going to be the tough one because. If they're on their day, they can be very dangerous, very lethal, and Gareth Bale can be world-class, as we've seen. He's won five Champions Leagues. Uh, he's been a world-class player for many, many, many years. Um, they're going to be a problem. They're going to be very hard to play against, dangerous to play against. I would wager we might control the tempo in that game and have possession, but you know, with Bale on the counter and Dan James, they have a lot of pace to get after us and cause us problems. Um, we have to get wins. If we want to get out of the group, we have to beat Iran and we have to beat Wales. And if we can get a draw against England, I think that's, you know, that's going to be enough for us to, to get out and advance. Yeah, I think it's going to be really similar, the game against Iran. It's going to be a lot of probably holding possession and, and trying not to get exposed on the counter, but also trying to break down you know, more of a low block. Uh, the Wales team, again, it's a team that's, not a lot of standout names aside, of course, from Gareth Bale, and we'll see what kind of shape that he is in. He did not actually play a huge role for LAFC after transferring over to MLS, although he scored a huge goal in MLS Cup, which LAFC won. This is his last international tournament. It's Wales' first appearance at the World Cup in, in decades. You would think he would be in... in you would think he would be motivated for that. You would think he would be at the top of his game. We'll see if that's actually true, but it's a team that's got so much talent in the Premier League, in the championship. I mean, these are all professional players who play at a high level, so that's going to be a tough one. 
and then Iran is the other one, and that's the one that you you certainly have to win, I think, if you're the United States, if you want to get out of this group. Have to. Have to collect three points there. Um, and before we, we move by Wales, I think what you said is why they're going to be a problem, is Gareth Bale didn't play a huge role for them, but scored a massive goal in the final for them to win the Cup. It's just what he does. He shows up in finals and scores. He shows up in big games, even when he's not in good form, even when his fans are saying that he doesn't like soccer anymore, he doesn't like playing the game, he comes out and he scores. And being this his last World Cup, they do have an experienced and young team. I think they're going to be a dangerous team to play against. Uh, And he shows up in big moments, so I'm expecting them to be dangerous. Uh, But, yeah, Iran, we have to gain three points against. It's just... It just has to be, and they have been a good team in their qualifying campaign, but we have to get three points to get out of the group. Yeah, that's right, and Iran, again, not a not a team with a lot of names that people would recognize and not a, lot, not a team with a ton of players that are playing outside of the domestic league or are playing, um, you know, sort of in Europe as opposed to the Middle East. They've got some players in the Qatari league as well. But again, it, it's a veteran team. I mean, it's a team that's that's been around and been at World Cups before, and they do have some talent there, right? Mehdi Taremi, the forward for Porto. Uh, Sardar Asmoon, who plays for Bayer Leverkusen in Germany. Ali Reza Jahanbaksh, who people will remember from Brighton. He scored a spectacular goal when he was playing in the Premier League for Brighton. He's now playing in mm-hmm, the Netherlands. Yes, he did. It's, it's a team that's easy to overlook, but it's got some talent. Yeah, this team is going to be a team that's going to absorb pressure, look to counter, look to be dangerous on the break. They're going to be a, you know, most of those Middle Eastern teams are organized defensively. They have a great team chemistry and rapport. They'll be unified. They're going to be very hard to break down. But as you said, you know, we should be able to get three points, and that'll be a test for that U.S. team is, look, we, we now have all of these technically skilled, these gifted players, we need to be able to break teams down and create chances when they put, you know, nine, ten players behind the ball in, a, in the defensive phase. We have to be able to break teams down and score. Uh, we've known about our ability to sit, defend, cause problems, and maybe catch an England out with a goal here and there or those bigger teams. But if we want to take this group to the next level, we have to be able to get wins against an Iran team that's going to be organized and like you said, with Taremi and Jahambash, they're going to be threatening us in behind. They're going to have some creativity on the counter. And how do we handle that with Zimmerman and Reem and Dest uh, committing forward and, you know, Anthony Robinson or Jedi Robinson committing forward? We have to be prepared for that. Yeah, last note on Iran, they're also coached by Carlos Cairos, the former Real Madrid manager. Uh, interesting career for Cairos. He's been a, a national team coach for uh over the past decade, he was in charge of Iran from 2011 to 2019, left for a couple of years. Now he's back, so they've got a lot of familiarity, I think, with him still from that last go-around. Uh, big games to watch here, I think, obviously, England-USA. I mean, what else can you say about that game? That one's going to be huge. Uh, the USA-Iran game, like you said, I mean, that's the one that they really have to get three points in. Um, and then England-Wales is just sort of fun as well for the uh, the national politics of it. Who are the players to watch in this group? We mentioned uh, a lot of them, but again, if you're just picking one for each team who's going to be important, who would you say? 
for us, I think it has to be Yunus Musa, player to watch for the USA. He gives us something in the midfield that we haven't had, and a lot of teams look for it. It's, it's a player that can drive with the ball, carry the ball. He's press resistant. He can move us forward and unlock some of those pressing moments from other teams. Uh, I think he's going to be massive for us, uh, especially being a guy that's not probably televised as much playing in Spain as some of the other players that are in the Premier League. Uh, for Wales, man, obviously the big one would be Gareth Bale and maybe an Aaron Ramsey. Uh, I think I'm going to have to go with Ethan Ampadu. I think whether he plays in the midfield or he plays at center back in a back three, I think having him being able to organize, being able to stop some of the teams getting through and breaking through their lines and dictating the tempo from midfield will be a big one. Um, and then for England, I think Phil Foden. I think if he can replicate some of his creativity, his runs in behind, his ability to score goals and get in the box and maybe help carry the load for a Harry Kane and be able to create and score goals, I think would be very huge for that England team. And for me, for me, for Iran, it has to be their goalkeeper. Um, he's made, he's saved a, a Cristiano Ronaldo penalty in 2018. Uh, he had a great, great performances in some of their qualifying games. I think they're going to have to absorb pressure. He's going to have to make some big saves to keep them, to keep them in the uh, in, in the tournament. There you go. It's Roland Benedict. He's the head coach of the Whitefish Girls soccer team. Uh, but for now, he's one of our top World Cup analysts on soccer and snow and smoke, breaking down at great detail and at great length. Thank you for that, Roland. Uh, groups A and B of the upcoming FIFA Men's World Cup in Qatar. It kicks off Sunday, November 20th, featuring two of the teams that we talked about, Ecuador and the host Qatar. United States Men's National Team opens its World Cup campaign on Monday, taking on Wales in a hugely important game. Roland, man, anything else that you wanted to mention? Uh, any more thoughts we got to get out there before I let you go? Uh, I think under, I think for everybody, you know, I know the games happen in the middle of the week and, you know, families work and uh, kids are going to be on vacation. But, you know, I know up in the Flathead Valley, we have World Cup watch parties scheduled at the Great Northern Bar and Grill for all the USA matches. There's something to be said about getting together with not only family and friends, but other other soccer players and people that love the game and watching games in a larger group environment. So go somewhere, support a local business, get out, watch matches, find those World Cup watch parties, uh, and get to experience the energy of a World Cup. Uh, happens every four years. It's a fantastic event. Uh, and get out there and watch games with friends, family, and, and, and support local businesses and, and just enjoy it. It's true. It only happens every four years. It's going to be over before you know it. Make those memories while you can. Get out and watch those games. Meet new people. Talk soccer. Experience the highs. Experience the lows. But just do it with other people. Roland's absolutely right. Thank you for that, man. I appreciate you, like I said, coming on and, and just taking the time and to go deep on these teams with me. Thank you again. Absolute pleasure. Uh, maybe we can do another one for the knockout round. I've got your number, man. We'll keep in touch. We're going to keep having analysis Excellent. of this year's FIFA Men's World Cup all tournament long on soccer and snow and smoke, so you probably will hear Roland's voice again. Keep it tuned. I've got a preview of Group C and D as well coming out with Montana head soccer coach Chris Chitovitsky. 
That's a fun one. Group C with Poland, where Coach Chitovitsky was born. Australia, where he spent uh, a lot of time growing up. So he's got thoughts on those teams, as well as two of the teams who I think would be real tournament favorites in Argentina and France. So that one's releasing right after I finish dropping this one with Roland Benedict. For Roland Benedict, I'm Andrew Alton. This has been Soccer and Snow and Smoke. Thank you for listening.